Celeste and I have discovered several what we think of as History Channel things, things that are going on that tell us about the history of Britain and Scotland. And we were looking at this one about this historian has selected a town to represent a different period of history, like she selected Belfast for Victorian. Um, I was looking at Chester for the Romans. And one of the things that they have is she gets to go in this secret little compartment that goes down, down into this dig where they show the foundations of the Roman gates that would have been there. How deep they were, how now hidden, because it's amazing because uh, of the transformation that has taken place in that area. They, they open up the story with this racetrack that in the time of the Romans, because of the river and everything, it was a place that had a pier because it was a place where the Roman ships would come up to that now over 2,000 years, all the silt is filled in and so you have this wonderful grass racetrack that is there that below that is Roman history. And so I want to go back to a foundation. We're not going to go through any trap doors, but we're going to go back to the first beginning verses of Hebrews to set the stage for what we're going to be looking at today. The writer of Hebrews begins his book long ago at many times and in many ways. Doesn't sound like a grand story. God spoke to our fathers through the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, whom also he created the world. You see, the opening definition and description in this grand story that we're looking at in the book of Hebrews is that God has spoken through his son, and now in this reflection last week, this week, and next week, using this central verse from Psalm 95, this verse that looks back to what happened in Exodus 17 and Numbers 20, is there in the book of Psalms in 95, and now is what we would think of today as a sequel, tying it all together. And so before we get to that verse, and remember last week I told you that that verse from Psalm 95... was the opening words to the synagogue worship liturgy every Sabbath day, no matter where the synagogues were. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. So in our text, beginning in Hebrews 3, verse 12, the writer starts off, Take care, brothers. Here is someone who wants them to think about what's going on in their lives. Take care, in, take care is probably the best translation for that word. But he says, take care, brothers. 
Now, that's a word that we have developed in chapter 2 and 3. When we think about Christ, who has been the one became like us so we could be adopted, the one who was not ashamed to call us brothers. And so when we hear this word brothers in the book of Hebrews, we need to put it in first a Christological and a Christ-centered understanding and to see it then secondly as something in grace that we have been brought in and we are the family of God because of God's grace. So when he's, he's writing to these people in the church, He's asking questions to the people in the church, the people who have identified with Jesus Christ. What I have done, and we'll see how it works out, is I have created four pastoral concerns and put it in context of what I call the haunting shared memory of a major mistake. See, why, why does he want to bring this up? Why does he want to say, take care of brothers? Well, if you look down at verse 17, and he says, and with whom he was provoked for 40 years, was it not those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? See, they, they remember from Psalm 95, Exodus 17 and Numbers 20, that when they... they provoked God, they angered God because they did not believe God. They did not believe, first, that he was there, and second, they did not believe that he had spoken and told them what to do. All week long, I was thinking about this passage, and I resisted what I call doing the numbers. At the end of that, whose bodies fell in the wilderness... See, if you had 600,000 men and only two, Caleb and Joshua, got into the promised land, and then they, you give all of them wives, so you're over a million people. And so if you took a million people and you went 40 years, 365 days times 40, and then you figure out how many people die each day, you, know, you think about this cloud of death that is over Exodus. Their bodies fell in the desert. No memorials, no identification, they're gone. Because they were disobedient. <clears throat> who was it? Those who sinned. Now, we're going to hear words like sin, sin, disbelief, disobedient. We're also going to look at the deception of sinfulness. But to realize that sin has consequences. Remember, we looked at a passage that said God pardoned them and said, You're not going into the promised land. Chief among that was Moses. He had sinned against God and he was not going to be allowed to go into the promised land. Think about that. The leader, the architect, the anointed one, the one who was given all of this written scripture. God says you can't cross the river. You can't even just cross the river and die. 
Sin is not something to fool around with. It has consequences. And that's why this, the writer of Hebrews is, is writing. Look, look at his, what I call his focus of pastoral concern. Lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. One of the most heartbreaking things that can happen in a church is to have somebody fall away from the living God. Make a profession, live in the church, sing and worship and all the things that people do, and then all of a sudden they walk away. You know people like that. How, you know, what's happening? And, and notice the language that is used. Lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart. Do you see how an unbelieving heart is not something to be toyed with? It's called evil because it leads to falling away from God. That's what real evil is, is falling away from God. We have so many people that, in our culture that don't even consider that God exists, that the name God is not even part of their thought patterns. But here it is in the church. And so that's why we need to take care of each other. Notice this is not an individual thing. This is a community thing. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. Because, again, we go back to the haunting memory. Verse 16. For who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not those who left Egypt led by Moses? Think about the people in Exodus 17 in that time period. These are people who had been slaves, who went through the plagues. And then God, with his cloud and fire, led them through a divided Red Sea into freedom away from the armies of the Pharaoh that were drowned. These were people who had been given the Ten Commandments. These were people who had been given what we think of as Genesis and parts of Exodus already. They knew that God revealed that God was there, but yet, what happened? You see, sometimes people can be around what one of my professors used to call the pyrotechnics of faith. You see all these big, exciting things happening. But what's happening in the heart of people? Sometimes they can see all of that and be unimpressed. To them, it's just entertainment. It's not something to grab on and be in awe of the true and the living God. Notice his pastoral advice in verse 13. And here is that community aspect of it. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. You see how we're supposed to be involved with each other every day? We're supposed to use the word of God to exhort each other? As long as it's called today, we remember that use of today last week, you know, as long as it's today, God is speaking See, that's one of the things about this passage from Psalm 95. It reminds us that God's word is, we call it later on in the book of Hebrews, it's alive. 
He wrote it, but he still speaks it today to us. It is still his. We hear it through the Holy Spirit when we read it in the pages of Scripture. What is the fear? In this verse, in verse 13, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. See, what he's telling us is if we are exposed to Scripture, if we are involved in exhorting each other from Scripture, using the Word of God to cheer each other on, to cheer each other up, to remind each other who we are. Because what can happen within the church is someone's heart can be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. See, sin often comes to us and it comes to something nice, something convenient, something comfortable, something attractive, something that might make us feel good or puffed up. We have to understand that sin is deceitful. We need to look behind the curtain. We need to look at where is its foundations. We need to fear that hard heart. God can take that hard heart out and put a heart of flesh in, yes. But in the church, we need to use Scripture to encourage each other. Exhort each other. Speak to each other's fears and needs and dysfunctions and all the things that can strive that the deceitfulness of sin might harden us towards the true and the living God. See that haunting memory in verse 18, and to whom did he swear that he would not let enter the rest, his rest, but those who were disobedient. See, sin is disobeying God. When we see sin, whether it's in our heart or outwardness, we need to realize that it is disobedience. It's disobeying God. God takes it personally because he is the creator. He is the one who has said, this is the best way for you to live. But we go back and act like the response of Adam and Eve to what the serpent said and disobey God. See, that's why as a pastor, the writer cannot let it go and not get personal. Sin is disobedience. It hardens people's hearts. But notice what the pastor, what the writer in verse 14 holds out to us. For we have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. Oh, we have come to share in Christ. That is what should identify us. That is what should comfort us. That is what should help us not rebel, not be disobedient, not be sinful, not have that evil, disbelieving heart. Listen to what we've already read in Hebrews 2, beginning to read at verse 16. For surely it is not angels he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for their sins. 
That was our assurance of pardon. Listen to verse 18. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. You see, when you're tempted to sin, when you're tempted tempted to be disobedient, when you're facing the fog of sin, the deceitfulness of sin, when we say that we share Christ, part of that is that he will be with us in our temptation. Temptation is not sin. Temptation helps us to resist sin and to move away from it. You see, when we face temptation to sin, to be disobedient, Christ is there with us. That's what this text reminds us, that you're not alone. Now, you need to acknowledge that you are facing sin, that you are being tempted to sin. And sometimes that's hard to do. Because sometimes you have that, oh, not again feeling. You feel like you've been there, done that. Can I ever overcome this? But yet, Christ, he suffered when tempted. And he has helped be able to help those who are tempted. Now, when we think about that memory, verse 19, so we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. I don't want to turn this into a process or a checklist, but when I look at this and I think about what the writer is saying, is that you have unbelief comes before disobedience, which is sin. You see, at the core of every sin in our lives, at the core of every sin, is unbelief that's saying, God isn't there. Remember the Exodus 17 question, is God among us? See, that disbelief that he's not there, that he's not part of my life. That's what moves towards disobedience and sin. That is at the root of what is gone. Because remember what we read earlier from verse 17? Lest there be in any of you an unbelieving heart leading you away from the true and living God. The lack of faith, the disobedience, the unbelief. And see, part of what it's reminding us is that in Psalm 95, in verse 7, it's talking about, you know, it's talking about God's rest. And remember what I said last week about God's rest? We were created for the seventh day. We were created to join God in that day of rest. And when we sinned in disbelief against God, we left that rest. And that is something he offers us by his grace and his salvation to come into his presence and his rest. When I look at all the loneliness and anxiety, I think how much of that is driven by unbelief that God really doesn't understand me, that God can't help me. That's what unbelief looks like. And the writer here is trying to get people's attention. The last, what I call the 
The pastoral memory text, verse 15. As it is said, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. How many times has someone's voice been what you needed at that moment, that, that moment of anxiety, or terror, or sadness, whatever, that moment of lostness, and someone speaks to you? Someone says just the right thing at just the right moment. Memorize this verse today. So you don't have to wait till tomorrow. You don't have to wait till you're perfect. No, today. If you hear his voice. Think about what that's one of the things that, that was very early on recorded about God was doing with Adam and Eve was he was in the garden, they were talking, or he was talking. His voice was there. But it also points to our responsibility of not hardening our voice, in other words, hardening our heart, not listening. Because that's what brings us to the place of rebellion. Disbelief, disobedience, sin, an evil heart. It's because we don't listen. This should not surprise us because that's what the very beginning of the story in, X, in Genesis rather is all about, is what happened, the consequences of not listening to God. Now, just, just so that I can drive the point deeper in your hearts, I hope, listen to what Jesus said in John 5, beginning to read at verse 24. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Truly I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. Do you hear how he describes eternal life? Let me go back and read verse 24 again. Truly, truly, remember that's amen, amen, I agree with you. I say to you, Jesus says, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. That hearing, that believing that God is there and he speaks. He's communicated to us. And that communication is true. And then one of my favorite illustrations in the book of John's Gospel that I'll end with is when Jesus talks about the gatekeeper and the sheep. To him... Jesus is telling the story. To him, the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. The stranger, they do not follow. They will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of a stranger. 
And then he says in verse 16, And I have other sheep that are not of his fold that I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So, there will be one flock, one shepherd. Do you see again the pastoral results of this? Of There was one shepherd, one flock, because there's one voice. In this avalanche of information and noise, you can hear the voice of God. You can hear that today if you hear his voice because of the Holy Spirit. But you have to be willing to say, that's who I want to listen to. That's who I want to believe. Because he's my shepherd and there's only one flock, there's only one way, there's only one voice. We need to be reading our Bibles, praying over them, memorizing them. Using our Bible knowledge and our knowledge of God and our relationship with him to resist sin, to resist disobedience. And when we are tempted to crawl upon Christ who is present with us. And to offer that to people who struggle with sin. You see, the writer does not want the people to leave. He doesn't want them to fall away. And that's why he's warning them about what to do if you feel like you're falling away. To listen. To listen to words that are true. Words of grace. Because he knows because of that generation that left in Exodus that went through the waters, that went through and got fed by the manna and the water and the quail and all that God did for them. They still disobeyed because of unbelieving hearts. So my, my prayer for you is that you examine your heart this week, you examine your faith, you examine what you trust in, and do you really listen to the true and living God? That he's the one who defines the issues of life. That he's the one who speaks so that you can hear. Now next week we're going to come back to this again. And I think he's going to... You know, he's, he's, he's like some writers or filmmakers where you've got... You know, you have a nice first... Maybe it's like a playwright. You have a... In Act 1, and things kind of build up. Act 2, they really begin to build up. But Act 3, you're going to find God is going to come down in a way because he is gracious and loves us. But he's going to come back to this psalm, Psalm 95, and this verse. Because why did he send Jesus Christ? God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days he has spoken to us by his son. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, we pray that you would use the Holy Spirit, use the word of God to open our hearts, our minds, so that we would hear, so that our hearts would not be hardened. We pray, Father, that you would take away any thoughts of disobedience, any thoughts of disbelief, that we would be honest with ourselves about our faith, Oh, Father, thank you 
that you have given something to us that we can read and trust, that we can read and know that your Holy Spirit has put it there, that your Holy Spirit is, can open it up for our hearts. Help us to hear this as we hear from the psalmist that today, the urgentness of it, the timeliness of it, Father, thank you so much that in this confusing, chaotic world, (coughs) we can hear the still small voice. We pray this, Jesus, in your most holy name. Amen.